All right, we are back. All right, guys, welcome back. Uh, if you're hearing this, you're probably midway through uh, our episode, Liberty and Fitness Part Two. We ran into some technical difficulties uh, last time, which James and I were joking now makes us officially a, a real true podcast. Surprisingly, it's real. <laughs> metaphysically real. <laughs> you know, because if we weren't, then nothing would have happened. I mean, why would we want to stop the stop the video? You know, so exactly. And somehow we made it through thirteen episodes during COVID and everything, and no issues. And then, yeah, I would say quite clear, also, and in different states. You know, I was yeah. in Idaho for some of them, Arizona for some. You're in Indiana for all of them. Yep. Yep. And I, I have a high speed internet envy. Uh, I asked my dad, we, we do, uh, my family and I, we do a weekly video chat because they're in Southern California and I asked him what his speed test was and it was pretty close to yours. It was like 140 down and like, you know, 20 up. And I was like, oh man, I wish. <laughs> man, I wish. Oh, it, uh, yeah. That's, that's the sign of the times right there, Robbie. That's the sign of the times. Yeah. And Benefit we- of stuff. Se- What's the, what, what kind of forms of envy do you deal with today, uh, young human? Well, you know, others can basically communicate a thousand miles apart faster than what I can. <laughs> this is what we're dealing with. Yeah. But it's, it's, you know, it's nice when you can have, I mean, because otherwise we wouldn't be able to, I mean, we'd be able to have telephone conversations. We could have like a rotary dial but it's nice when we can see each other's faces. Of we could, we could, or we could uh, write letters. Yeah. And just wait for, can you imagine how long a podcast would take if we were to write letters back and forth? Like if I was just to write what I just said and then send it, and then you got to get it from horse and carriage and then write back under candles at night. And then I get it back. Imagine if my answer back was like, no, I don't really understand that. That'd be a long time in between podcasting, you know. Dearest James, and then <laughs> humblest servant, Robbie. <laughs> oh, gosh. On, All right, so ready to jump back into some uh, liberty and fitness? Yeah, you were, uh, your video is a little... Uh, shaky still um, but uh, your sound is great so we'll get we'll keep going and as if nothing's happening and everything's good all right let's give it a try and hope that it evens out here yeah um, so last time we were discussing this question that James had posed um, a great question about um, to what extent should the government play a role in promoting overall fitness for its citizens and then the further question what would really be the drawbacks of the government saying, Hey, everyone each day has got to gauge in an hour in fitness. What, what would be the problem with that? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where we uh, were. And I just wanted to say thank you on my end. Cause each, you know, you've been pressing this hypothetical each time and each time it's kind of forced me to think more deeply about, you know, what would be the benefits of that and what would be the drawbacks. And I think, I think, although I'd very much like to hear your thoughts, I think I've come up with some reasons um, that you would agree to that might show why it's problematic, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. So, you know. Yeah, I 
Well, I appreciate you starting that last time. If you if you weren't aware, you did lay out some things that result in what seems like an impeding freedom for people to say that they're supposed to exercise or they're supposed to do that, right? So I appreciate that. Um, and I hope you can lay out a few more pieces as to why that could be problematic. Um, and I, really, I don't have much more. Um, so why don't you go ahead with uh, what you would what you would perceive to be some extra things we not may not be thinking about. And uh, then it may allow me to to conjure up some more ways to think about uh, uh, why having it at place, regardless of the rules behind it or the reason, may just be one of those things where we got to fake it till we make it and have good outcomes. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think this is a good example for people of like, these things may seem to conflict in my mind, but they may not for you. And this is where like the discussion is so important, like to hear what your thoughts are. So you know, based on what we've discussed in past episodes, and I think anyone listening who knows you knows, you are the foremost proponent, I think, in the fitness world of, of the following three viewpoints. Number one, you should engage in fitness uh, because you can. You should do it because it's for you. And you should do it in such a way that eventually leads to autonomy, not just in your fitness journey, but also in your personal life. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when we try to mesh that with the view of the government or some other entity forcing us to do fitness for an hour a day, it would seem to me that in that case, you're doing fitness because you need to, it's imposed from the outside, yeah. you're doing it for someone else. And then on the autonomy front, um, you know, you're running up against this issue of, well, if someone's making you do it, it's not really autonomous. So those to me on the face of it seem to be um, potentially conflicting, but I'm, I'm curious your thoughts there as to whether yeah. they do or not. Yeah, well, they are uh, really, and I think, but I think we've we've landed at that point of me making the statement around, you know, forcing people to do exercise is again this premise of it's going to take way too long to allow a consciousness to come come up with all these positive benefits of participating in physical expression daily. It's going to take way too long. So it's like a fast track way of like, listen, <laughs> I know it doesn't make sense. But just do it. And then then we know that, I mean, we could go there. We know that uh, people will start making better decisions. And over time, just like I hear from a lot of people who are, who are uh, group fitness uh, lovers, they're like, yeah, we kind of get it. But over time, people start developing these good patterns of lifestyle. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, you got me. That's a good point. You know, like they start out unconscious, you're forcing them to say, here's the rituals. (laughs) And then over time, they're like, I may need to do this myself and I want an individual design. So you could see that even though they were not necessarily forced for that under their decisions, they decided to do it. You could see it may have led to that. So that's why I, that's why I jumped to the, I guess we can call it an authoritarian concept of what that's supposed to be like. Um, uh, because um, a couple things, there's good intention behind it, right? So sometimes with authoritarian measures, you always have to question the power that's behind it, right? So in what I'm saying, the intentions are for a collective improvement in everyone's physical expression and better decision-making. So that's where I go is like, so what's your argument against that? If your argument against that is that people are afraid they're going to be forced to exercise, I get it, but you got to give me more (laughs) because what are the outcomes of not exercising? We know the outcomes of not exercising or like practicing in some form of physical expression. So that's where I go for it. And of course, Robbie, which will tie in, if people are still listening now, thank you. We'll tie into what we discussed earlier. Now it gets now it gets impeding when you start talking about a young mind that can't understand abstract or logic things. 
are we are we forcing them to learn math? <laughs> and if your answer is, well, yeah, because they can't have a job and they can't go to university and pay the government this amount of money for this. <laughs> you see, we're, now it's working back to so like, well, well, maybe you're forcing them to learn math and you're not forcing them to learn about how to be physically autonomous. And that's the argument up against current adults that don't have that in place. As you know, one of the biggest things around it, it, it going like it becoming a reality is that people, you know, I'll use the word, they're not conscious enough to have the understanding as to why it's important. I would also argue they're not competent enough. They're not educated on those basic things of physical expression and self-care and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, that's why I take the position, you know, what happens if they were taught for the first 20 years of their life, right? It's like, this is just what you do. <laughs> this is what you do. Uh, you know, what's the cost to it? What do you mean a cost to exercise? This is my fucking freedom. I have, I have a sovereignty over this thing to express that. I don't need a, a gym and pay someone. I just know these things. Why? I was taught that, right? So then you can look at it from a different perspective. Like, oh, you, so you were forced to learn about physical expression. Are you honestly going to, you see, this is where, <laughs> this is where the philosopher in me just gets, <laughs> like, I can't, I don't have the capabilities like you do, Robbie, to like, well, let's put this into buckets and think about that. I just can't. I'm like, ah, you're going to argue against that? I'm an exercise addict. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't move past it. <laughs> I can apologize for that. I'm an exercise. No, I, th I think in a lot of ways we we all are to one to one extent or another. If we're having this discussion, and most of the people listening to this podcast, but I, I I see I see a bit more what you were saying about look this authoritarian potential switch. It, it's kind of a fast track to this end goal when the means of getting adults there seems. Problematic, and this isn't a perfect analogy, but something I thought of when you mentioned that is the uh, probably the most one of the most famous moral philosophers of the 20th century, Alastair McIntyre, wrote the book uh, After Virtue, and he has an example in there where he talks about uh, a grandson and his uh, grandpa playing chess. You know, and he talks about how the grandson um, initially gets paid in candy to pay, play with his grandpa. And of course, that's an extrinsic motivation. And we would say, yeah, long-term, that's probably not so great. But through that extrinsic motivation, the grandson eventually comes to recognize the intrinsic values of spending time with his grandfather or playing chess mm -hmm. or things like that. Um, so the idea there is that, you know, the pure intention stuff that we, we've talked about, of course, is, is very good and we wanna get there for those intrinsic motivations. But especially in the case of kids and maybe even adults, <laughs> Maybe you need a little bit of extrinsic motivation to uh, to get you to that intrinsic motivation, if that if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm not sure where where this uh, you know, dare I say, uh, political uh, ideology fits into here. Do you have any f sense of where this may fit into that for the current for the current landscape? Not not for the not for the timely reasons of an upcoming election, but you know, just political ideology and, and beliefs? Is there, is there kind of like a, uh, you know, conservative, liberal, and then third dimension libertarian concept in where, in where my beliefs sit in that? Is that, is that uh, 
could, could you, could you, cause it did, I just picked up on something you just said, you know, just earlier there of, um, um, of, of how that extrinsic motivation can be in place that a society decides upon, right? It's a society that decides upon because they all believe, or what, this is why I wanted to know about political ideology on it. They all believe in a certain thing as in, as uh, I forget how it's said in the constitution or the declaration of independence, innumerable rights as a per, for a person. Is that, I forget how that's how it's uh, expressed. So I was wondering if you could just offer a little flavor to that. If it's too much of a tangent for it, then it's, you know. No, I, I like that discussion and, you know, hopefully I can give people at least a sense of where this might fit. So, I mean, as I'm sure you're aware and a lot of our listeners are aware, even though conservatives typically today have the, um, sometimes they're accused of being anti-government or anti-intervention and liberals are much more big government, things like that. <laughs> they're both big government for different things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, conservatives typically for uh, abortion or gay marriage or other things like government imposing certain things. Uh, liberals tend to be more for like welfare or social security or certain things we should be learning about. So in both cases, there can be forms of government intervention. I would say, where do your views sit? They are about as anti-libertarian as they as you could possibly get, um, at least in, in that regard. Um, and I think they would trend more to what today is more typically referred to as um, left-wing or liberal, just insofar as we are saying that the government has a role in helping people cultivate the good life. The government's role extends beyond just making sure that people aren't robbed or killed or anything like that. The government's role is not just to educate people about certain things like um, exercise or finances or what have you, but in what you're arguing for to actually enforce it beyond education. It's not just education and then, hey, you can do it or not do it. It's, we're going to impose taxes or laws or something to that effect. So that, that's where I would triangulate it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Cause I'm just, and I'm also thinking about like, I'm thinking about the storyline of that too, right? So let's just say that that was in place where the education was in place starting tomorrow. And then also there was a, uh, a duct tape solution of this extrinsic motivation stuff for adults, right? Which hopefully over time it led to a let's call it a more prosperous, conscious society, right? In 30 years, right? Um, Then I could see how in 2020, um, that's probably the only, that's probably the only future solution to what I am proposing, right? Is through that, uh, you know, more of a, a government, because I, I, I'm seeing the government as a placeholder, Robbie, and I, and I, I don't know how to describe it uh, as good as as good as I can. So help me if if I need. But it's just that that in modern society and where we are, the the government is the only real leadership, really, that we have in place to create some kind of, I guess, governance around, you know, what that is. And so that's why I, you know, that's why I, um. um trying to trying to take a picture for the future as to what it would look like again i can't see just us coming up with uh you know what we think to be a really a really good lifestyle and a really uh prosperous and large living existence 
through lots of different physical expression um, and, uh, and people getting really on board with that. If we don't have, if we don't have some people who, you know, just make it uncomfortable and create some, uh, create some ideas. And that's where I think it, it, it may be uh, why, why my brain and my thoughts sit in that area because I'm, I'm looking at what current society may need um, and just assuming based upon predictions and the futuristic concept what it's going to look like if we don't have that, you know, um, again. And that's why I go back to like, well, you know, what would be the, just for time and a sound bite, what would be the, the quick fix, you know? And that's why I went to um, more of these, uh, you know, strict, what seemingly look like strict, you know, things that people need to do for physical expression, because I know on the other end, it's going to have, you know, very positive outcomes because we know it to be true, ironically. And those who even uh, may argue against having the liberties and freedom to do what they want, ironically, they would answer that question of how do you think you get to really good thoughts and make great decisions? And it's generally, they'll say that I, I've taken, I've self, I've done a lot of self care and, and, and health and wellness, you know, it's like, <laughs> well, what, don't you think everyone else should be practicing in that? You know, um, even if they're not aware of those positive benefits, uh, things that you are actually aware of, but you're just afraid to like tell people that they should be doing it yet. You know, the outcomes would be so positive. Yeah. And that's, that's really where we get into the sense of should becomes important there because mm -hmm. where, where they'll dive off the boat if they're more libertarian or liberty leaning is yeah. I agree that people should do it just like people shouldn't smoke or shouldn't, yeah. should give to charity or shouldn't wear, you know, should wear a seatbelt. I just don't think the government should impose it. Yeah. So we get to like, is it a moral should? Is it a government should? Right. Um, that type of thing. But I, I agree with the point you made earlier about, and we'll probably get to this when we get to the discussion of, you know, negative liberty and whether we should have an imposition of coaches having the equivalent of an MD or a JD or being more of a free market. We have kind of these two paths, both of which have benefits and drawbacks. So in the case we've been talking about, the benefit of the government, you're right, it's the main and only institution that could really impose this with genuine force. Um, you know, the con of course is that, you know, the, the different things that we mentioned with regard to liberty. On the flip side, you could go more the educational route, either for adults or for kids. Um, the con there is that you um, don't have any impositional force. Yeah, you just put the information out. That's what I'm saying. It's like, there, dude, there's lots of information. I don't know if anyone's ever checked out YouTube. It's, you know, Y-O-U-T-U-B.com. There's lots of information in there. Um, all the answers are in there, right? So that could be an example of what I would say is a, futile attempt of just like, Oh, just spread information and everyone will find the answers. No. Um, it has to be a little bit more streamlined because there's no real, you know, way to do it in there. Um, and in terms of the, uh, yeah, I agree. The, you know, I'll just say it again, that the younger education may be a truly interesting, impactful technique, uh, something we can talk, think about more so, or maybe another show too, Robbie is uh, use a metaphorical hypothesis of that actual, that actual thing being, and then we can probably massage what the outcomes would be of that. Right. Um, and that may lead us back to finding some better, better virtues inside of why we need to make it, make it happen sooner than later. Um, but I also, you know, think about the, if, if it's not for government, then, you know, you're going to say um, it's got to be private. 
right? And, and private, um, you know, there's just, you know, if it's going to go private, there has to be some form of labor and economy structure around it. And, uh, and if you're going to go that route, then now you got to get into socioeconomic class and who's going to have access to that form of information um, and who's going to be fed that information. And, uh, and just as an example, uh, for 20 years, we've been doing that. And you know what it's led to? It's led to people not even recognizing they can go for a walk and lift rocks and eat chicken and broccoli. And they seemingly think it's really hard because they had to step over a bag of Doritos um, while they're smoking to get to like the gym that costs 150 bucks a month. Right. It's like, this is, they're like, it's, it, listen, dude, it's really complex. It's like, gosh, it's really not, it's really not that complex. So, so what is the, what is the piece in between? That's the issue I think we'll come into if we're just like, just let, let private, let private groups run that. Right. And let, just let education flourish. Just put the information out and everyone will snap into it. That's a fucking that's, a fuck, that's not what you said, but that's a fucking fantasy, to be completely honest. That's a fantasy, um, especially with how information is spread today, you know. Um, and, you know, uh, maybe it's a conservative thought, uh, conservative not in political thinking, but traditional thought. You know, there used to be, uh, there used to be uh, you know, we used to get our news. Just the examples where I think of is in Canada, we used to get our news from uh, uh, Knowlton Nash. Now, based upon the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation and how they've changed over time, how media has changed and how they've tried to adapt. But I remember Knowlton Nash being, you know, Saturday night, you'd watch him for a couple hours and that was the information, right? And the entire country, you know, kind of kept him honest in terms of the information that was going to be, that was going to be spread, right? And you had people on all different forms of beliefs just listening to that information. My whole point being is that there's now like, you know, 75 versions of Knowlton Nash, right? Who, who was probably, I forget back in the days back in America, it was probably, uh, not, it wasn't Brokaw, it was probably pre-Brokaw. Maybe you can give me some information as to that. But Walter Cronkite. Cronkite, classic, right? Like, it's just like, you know, uh, the, the, the medium is the message, right? Like, the, the, just so much power in, uh, in that being so simple. It's like, okay, we can all get behind this, right? Like, you got this person talking to this person it's like, okay, that's fascinating. You know, you got a Miana balancing that out. You get to make these decisions, but now there's like 65 options. It's very confusing. Yeah. So that's, that's my brain goes on the concept you proposed of if it's not government, then what is it? I think the other option is not good enough, right. For today. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, to be fair, and, and this is where we get into the issue of like, what is the more worthwhile thing to care about? Right. So like, yeah. If we're saying the more worthwhile thing to care about is getting those fitness results, like getting the participation in fitness, yeah. you're 100% right that the education thing won't do the trick. However, if we're talking about is the intrinsic value of liberty worth more than people getting those values of fitness the same way letting 10 guilty people go is more important than convicting one innocent person or having freedom of speech is more important than, you know, prohibiting clan members from having a peaceful rally down a street. Yep. Um, that That's where we really get into the issue of like, what counts as the greater good? Is it the intrinsic value of liberty or is it the participation? And, and one analogy I just thought of that maybe of interest to you, I, I, it, it kind of struck me here. In, in college, I took a course on uh, evangelicalism taught by a guy named Randall Balmer, um, wrote a number of good books on it. But anyway, his main thesis was the following. 
in Europe, part of what happened was that you got this gradual decline in religiousness because there was the Church of Denmark. There was the Church of this. It was this overarching thing that the government ran and then people were born into it and they didn't care. And then people came over here and you would get the Baptists and the Anabaptists and drive-in churches. So you did get more of this, you know, free market approach with more enthusiasm, but you're right. It does splinter into these different factions. So that was kind of an analogy that I, I thought yeah. of that was interesting in that regard. Yeah, that's great. It also, yeah, that's really helpful for people to see it in a different light and put in a new language of the, of the, of the issue at play. Um, and it probably leans into probably what you could, you could open up it should should we um utilitarianism and is is that where we are at that for for answering those questions is like how effective is is this relative to the whole and um and or should we you know maybe save it for another time and just the concept itself and then bring it back to fitness um, but that's what i'm hearing there is really having a good understanding of the framework of that and then deciding upon what the best route is you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think we'll probably, you know, as we jokingly say for everything, we'll probably do an episode or two on that, but I, yeah. I think, I think we could, I, I would be happy to just give people a little intro to that okay. just right now, Let's just to that. kind of give yeah. us a sense. So just to give kind of a basic overview here, there are a few main different theories in moral uh, philosophy, but kind of the two most famous ones that debate are deontology, most famously associated with someone like Kant, which I'll explain in just a second. In utilitarianism. So for utilitarianism, what makes an action moral is the extent to which it break, brings about the greatest good for the greatest number of people. That's what good consists in. So, you know, for example, Peter Singer, a famous philosopher today, argues that it would be better to forego your $100 shoes than to give that to Oxfam because that will lead to the greatest good for the greatest number of people. Sounds great. Awesome. You know, in, in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. The thing that utilitarianism has um, some issues dealing with are things that are intrinsically worthwhile, like integrity or dignity. Because if your metric for saying that we're achieving a greater good could include things like, we'll kill this innocent person, or we'll tell people anything they want to hear, or any value that I hold has a price, um, then you really run into issues that, you know, we have, a lot of us have deep moral intuitions that integrity isn't for sale. Dignity isn't for sale. So, and, and this is, this is where, you know, both kind of compete against each other for deontology. The issue is, well, can I, uh, can I kill baby Hitler in a time machine, right? To, mm -hmm. to take a crazy example, yeah. or, or can I lie to the Nazi at my door, uh, they ask if there's in the attic. So they, they both have problems. I don't mean to suggest that they both don't, but with utilitarianism, you run into this gigantic issue that's related to what we're discussing now, which is that almost anything that is of intrinsic value, whether that's liberty or autonomy or integrity or dignity can be sacrificed in the service of, well, a million people will be saved, but like, what did we have to do to get there? Did we have to waterboard, you know, a hundred innocents? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's kind of the issue we run yeah. into. Yeah. Thank you for that. That certainly, and it makes me think uh, about maybe you could line us up with um, just a Rolodex in thought right now of, uh, of similar kinds of problems. The problem we're dealing with today in fitness, similar kinds of problems, but how they were dealt with 
with thinking about it the way we're thinking about it and how it led to what a utilitarian would say would be a positive outcome. Is there any examples you could drum up in other industry or other, other cases that, uh, you know, where we were, we were, you know, humming and hawing over, well, I think this is right. Well, I think this is right. I think this is what you need to do. I think this is what you should do. And really the, the deepest, this, it just looks so simple. It looks so simple and like, oh, that just makes sense. You would want to like exercise and eat good foods and, and it'll lead to better thoughts and better decisions, you know? Um, was there, is there any other examples you can think of that? Uh... Yeah, I mean, there, there's a ton. And honestly, I think I was emailing you about this. This debate goes to so many different things. It goes to the free will debate. It goes to God versus evil. Yeah. It goes to morality. It goes to Walden, politics. Walden 2 stuff. Yep, exactly. It's, it's this, and it, it really, it brings up another question that I think is related to what we're talking about today about like, are these just incompatibilities that we can't have between different people or is there a way to make actions? On one side, you really have people who fundamentally believe in the spectrum here, but certain things are intrinsically good, full stop. Um, and you can't barter, um, around them. So, you know, the classic example in the theological case is free will, you know, uh, yes, you know, religious people will argue, yes, it's sad that people steal or that people get harmed or things like that. But at the end of the day, uh, free will is intrinsically worthwhile. Um, and in the moral sphere, it's the same type of thing where we say, maybe we can't achieve the greatest good for the greatest number of people all the time with a focus on integrity or autonomy, but we're equivocating about what's the greatest good, right? That's, that's exactly the issue. When we say, you know, integrity and autonomy are important, we're saying intrinsically those are good. Those things cannot be, um, you can't put enough things on the other side of the scale to overcome those. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's really where we get the issue. So if you, if you use a metaphor of a scale, that's really where we get the issue. So utilitarian always thinks there's a sufficient amount of stuff you could put on the other side of the scale to outweigh integrity, autonomy, liberty, what have you. Someone who believes in the intrinsic value of certain things says, I don't care about the scale. No other. Side. You couldn't put an infinite amount of stuff on the other side to outweigh good of integrity. And that's, you know, to go back to your question of are there examples of where utilitarians try to make arguments against this? Yes, there are. Stuart Mill famously tried to say, well, look, when we talk about the greatest happiness for the greatest number of people, we're not just talking about scratching an itch or people having sex or eating their favorite pizza. We're talking about higher order goods like reading a book and learning philosophy and autonomy and things like that. Um, that's their attempt to do it. But <laughs> there are objections to that too. So like you really get to this deep philosophical battle about what things are worth it and what things aren't. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Got it. <laughs> that, that, that whole 10, 15 minutes there was good to recognize that this is why we arise at this problem. And that's, that's the reason why we, why we do it. We have to have that conversation of the back and forth. We have to see, what the issues are. We have to see the framework of the issues. We have to understand both sides of it. Um, and in the end, it comes down to some deep, deeper 
things on values and facts, right? And this is maybe where science and, uh, you know, it could inspire some coaches, right? So, um, you know, my belief is that it'll never see the light of day and it's just way too complex to arrive at those facts that anyone would like take a look at and go, Oh, that kind of makes sense. Chicken, broccoli moving every day. I feel really good. Make these decisions. Um, you know, I, but uh, maybe we need to be harder on that. You know, maybe we need to talk about things like measurement and maybe we need to virtue signal consistency and virtue signal that that person can reproduce and get a great job and like make great decisions and save a life. Right. And then lead it all back to, well, how did it get there? Well, it got there because they made a choice to participate in physical expression and believe in this thing, right? They believed in this value. And then it turned into fact, which was that by their participation and their consistency and eating broccoli and chicken and exercising, they were able to have this really positive collective influence, right? And uh, maybe we just do, need to do a better job of, looking around us and saying, how can I continue to keep data and keep measuring stuff? Because you, you need to fall in love with and feel like you're a part of this big data collection to show proof, right? Because in the end, it's not, it's not, don't wait for it to happen because you'll always come down to this like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need to. And you shouldn't tell me that I need to. And you're like, well, you're actually correct. <laughs> so how could I, how could I uh, influence you? Uh, not coerce, but how could I influence you in your thinking? Right. So well, what, what you can do is maybe show nine out of 10 times like the cigarette industry, right? It's like, you could try for 20 years, but we'll show you nine out of 10 times. It causes problems, right? So maybe we're just not, maybe we just haven't done hard enough work, right? Or enough work that makes it a factual thing. So we don't get into this facts values conversation. So we don't, we don't go down to that route. And I'm not saying that we should, you shouldn't get there. Right. And I'm not saying there hasn't been some, you know, that I've even been a part of, of listening to like the, the highest level thinkers today discuss these big two challenging topics on facts and values. Right. So I, I get it that that's a worthwhile place to get, but maybe let's back up and say, let's just try to, let's try to see what, what is uh, factually observed to be, you know, good and better. And then we can, you know, create some, you know, rules and guidelines that are more than just hashtag BLGs, you know, <laughs> and hope people get inspired based upon that or have enough money to pay us per month for our, our service of, uh, of folly. Well, and I, th I think, you know, I think that's really where, just like you said in the cigarette case that, you know, presenting the facts more forcefully or making them more available to people, that's, that is a good place to go. And no reasonable person in the debate is going to disagree that fitness is a good thing, that eating broccoli is a good thing. Like, let's, let's just wipe that off the table. Like, we'll just say like anyone who's reasonable participants are in the same conversation. But what is reasonable in that conversation is the extent to which that is um, imposed by the government or whether it's in the marketplace of ideas whether it's you more forcefully making that case. Have you ever seen those ads from uh, truth.org or truth.com? You know what I'm talking about? Like the orange ads were like, they're, they're anti-cigarette smoking ads. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they do creative things to show like, oh, the cigarette companies, you know, they, 
do this and that and the other thing. So the argument there would be something like, this is the way you go out and convince people. You don't impose it from the outside. You, you convince people that way. And I, I think that's the route that preserves liberty. You're right. It's not going to lead the same participation in fitness that we would mm -hmm. from government imposition. Absolutely. But you preserve liberty and you say, well, in the marketplace of ideas, we just need to do a better job of conveying this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think that's, you know, yeah. that's probably a way to go. Although again, I completely agree with you. It is not going to lead to the same participation in fitness, but the same way we have a presumption of innocence until proven guilty so much the worse for the 10 guilty people who get let go to save the one innocent person. You yeah. Know what I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, fitness, physical progression and expression is not pleasurable. You know, so some of us may think it's pleasurable, but it's not, it's hard work. Right. So, uh, cigarette smoking can be pleasurable. So we may have to do how in the hell, by the way, did you don't have to answer this question? How in the hell did they get truth.org as a, as a website? <laughs> Wow, that's crazy. Maybe they can actually trade. Maybe the .org we know the truth. It's like, are you kidding me? Anyways, um, the uh, you just see all the uh, certainty groups <laughs> come with like, what? That's the truth. They have a website for that. Um, people, people search on Google. What is the truth? <laughs> Don't smoke. I think you may have to use reverse psychology. I think probably in the physical expression route, in the same idea. Let's just imagine another metaphorical hypothesis of us putting out lots of marketing, right? We have this GoFundMe project that raises $400 million for this massive marketing project. And it's called what anyways, Brandon can certainly come up with a good dot ORG that we could push, but it would be like, uh, probably today what would work best is, uh, is, uh, you should do nothing. <laughs> You know, it's like the truth.org, you should do nothing. You should, you should just sit down and watch Netflix, right? You should um, consume pleasurable, uh, addictive processed foods, right? You should. I'm just mentioning that as kind of a, a you know, what would probably like <laughs> spark this like middle finger, you know, yeah. F you, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go out and exercise. I'm gonna move around. You told me that I should do nothing. You know, that's probably what would work in the fitness realm, uh, ironically, using a reverse psychology. So maybe we could go, we could go higher order. And that's where we'll start. I mean, you're absolutely right. And Brandon and I have this discussion all the time with regard to marketing, which neither of us are gigantic fans of. The things you need to say to get across the truth. Like, it's not enough to just say the truth. And I, I think, you're absolutely right. We can't turn our backs on that, right? Like if we were to force it from the outside, chances are people would hate it. But, it, and if you said, oh, well, fitness is great for you, people would tune out. But if you said, you know, okay, continue to sit there and be lazy and eat Doritos and not do anything like human psychology, you're gonna be like, no, fuck you. I'm gonna yeah. get up and do this. Yeah, I'm free to do whatever I want. <laughs> right? Wait now. Yeah, I keep thinking of Biff in uh, Back to the Future. Oh, man. We need to use that libertarian instinct in that direction, right? We need to use it yes. in the, like... Yes. Yeah. For fitness. For fitness, for fitness yeah. right? For sure, for fitness. Um, yeah. So, uh, 
one thing I wanted to see if you were open to discussing, because um, we we had mentioned it before, and I, th I think it'd be cool to get a handle on it, because it's a genuine question I have, and I, I'm sure you have thoughts on it. We, we talked a lot about the positive liberty conception and you know the how the government may or may not impose these things from the outside on the on going back to the negative liberty side of things where should the government have rules about what we can and can't do um when it comes to fitness coaching there seems to be these two areas where again we have benefits and drawbacks so one it seems like we have a dilemma so one horn of the dilemma is i'd say our current state which is free market people can say whatever they want uh yay, liberty, uh, yay, no dogmatism, yay, no absolutism in, in certain regards. Yeah. But drawbacks being, um, you know, people can get hurt, there's misinformation, people are confused. And then the other route would be something like, which doesn't exist in fitness currently as far as I'm aware, is something like an MD or a JD where we make laws to the effect that you cannot practice fitness, yeah. you cannot practice fitness coaching the same way you can't practice law or medicine um, without an MD or a JD and the benefits there, you have legit authorities who are professionals and less confusion, but you have more dogmatism and absolutism. Uh, curious your thoughts there on, are, is there a third option? Do you think one option is better than the other? What, what do you think there? Yeah, I think there probably is more options and I just haven't, haven't come up with them. So I appreciate the, the starting point on this to build it. Cause I really do think that I've only discussed maybe a couple of them, but and I think it's Robbie, just because we're trying to deal with what is current, like what you said with the current state is, right? Um, and although you didn't mention it in different words, or maybe you did, the current state um, really is that there isn't any, any true definition of a leader that is going to give you correct information for health and wellness. It seemingly thinks that's the case, right? But it's not. So this is what happens when you just say, exercises for all anyone can teach it just go out there and everyone will benefit well let's look at the 20-year study on that now it's not that much better right so we could just use that as like a well what should we do and the far end of it is yes um, you have regulation in terms of who could say you should eat broccoli and chicken and do lunges right like and and this is the progressive order in how you do it right and you're not allowed to say that, nor are you allowed to wrap business and economy and everything around it unless you have that designation of a regulatory process that says that. Now, listen, I only mention that. First of all, then never see the light of day. <laughs> um, I, but I only mention it. It allows you to think about some solutions, right? Some, some, some things that are inside of that process that got, you know, companies like mine to be like, listen, we got to put our stake in the ground because if we just say, well, anything goes, we're going to end up just creating a logarithms to spit out information where, you know, one person makes money, we get bought by a big tech company, and everyone is still unconscious in fitness. You know what I'm saying? So there, there has to be and if no one ever no one put together my last 30 seconds mean like that is an option for us as a company, right? We can down the road scale this thing to become a logarithm based upon education, anyone can have it. And we just spread it all out and everyone wants to consume it. And no one actually moves anywhere right? Because it becomes less human and there's no coach to client interaction in terms of how they're individually supposed to be improved. So um, there's, a, there's, there's another, I guess there's other ways we could think about this. You could say, you know, well, what would happen? And this is why I want to take that, that route as one of them. What would happen if you take the, take the hypothesis that we, we approach this in two ways, top down and bottom up. Top down meaning that we say there's these rules in place in terms of what people should do in their physical fitness participation. 
and have some well agreed upon a governant governance of those entire groups. So everyone gets together and I just, I'm being very loose that, but everyone gets together as education companies and leaders within fitness and say, we're all going to get behind one another because we're, it's not making progress by all of us being in silos saying that we have the answer to this big, this big issue. Okay. So that's one option. And that's to take care of the current broken adult model in concept of fitness. Okay. And there's lots inside of that. I don't give a shit about the people who are consistent. I'm caring about people who are oppressed or don't have the competency or don't have access or never knew that it could be something that they could like learn about and improve their lives in. Secondly, we go back to that other option of let's call it, I guess, a bottom up approach. And we teach all these humans starting tomorrow of, you know, what fitness is. So many years down the road, there's no such thing as a health and fitness coach. So you're, and that's, that's, that's where I think we, that's where I think our brains should go, right? Like if you don't latch on to what the long-term real definition is of success is, I think the long-term definition of success is that you eventually have humans walking around this planet who don't need to pay someone for education on how to do a lunge and if they should eat broccoli on Wednesdays or Thursdays. It's, it just becomes a very simple process of self-care and nourishment and self-hygiene practice and physical expression of different kinds of things, right? And um, I know it sounds like I'm talking in tongues on that, but that's as uncomfortable as you need to get in the thought process in order to work back and say, well, what's the... What's your options? What's your solutions to overcoming this issue? And I can tell you it's not going to happen with a regulatory process or, or regulating like who is the purveyors of, or I'm not sure if they use the right word, but who's the, who's the ones that are supposed to speak about this, right? And who are the ones that are supposed to be the leaders and the guiders and the directors? So you need a two-pronged approach. Take care of the people that are currently adults, 18 plus, that are broken in intentions, right? And, and everyone will wrap our arms together and kind of overcome this big issue all together and stop being in silos. And we all agree upon this um, because there's probably smart enough people inside who are just like, listen, you know, and maybe this is just the thought process too. You know, maybe uh, Bezos uh, says, you know what? We're all going to wrap our arms around one another, right? Like you're all, you all think like you're all, you know, making money and killing it out there but you're not making an impact whatsoever in our definition of like everyone being healthier. So Bezos wraps his arm around it and puts a lot of money into it where everyone can still have a lifestyle and, and the system is put together to basically make that tremendous impact. And then the other side is that starting tomorrow, every child that's educated, no matter if you're at home, charter, public, whatever, you will learn by the time you're 18 how to take care of yourself and how to physically express yourself for the rest of your life. Um, that's that's a long end solution, I think, to this uh, really futile attempt of uh, of of uh, all these private bodies uh, thinking that we're teaching people about fitness and really thinking we're making a tremendous impact. And you know how you know I'm, I'm I don't say that easy, Robbie, right? Because listen, what are you and I doing day to day, right? Like we're we're making an impact, right? We're helping people, we're changing coaches' lives, changing coaches' brains changing coaches' brains to help other people in the behaviors, but I'm talking about like uh, audacious, you know, long-term impact of uh, this intention of fitness. So I don't even know if you pulled anything from there in terms of options that you asked for, but I, I appreciate the question because 
I really do think we need to spend a lot more time at uh, understanding that, uh, that question and trying to come up with multiple different styles of solutions. Um, some of those also we got to take into consideration um, a collective approach or a global approach, right? Like, you know, you and I are just talking uh, possibly Indiana and Arizona, you know, but uh, there's a lot of things that change based upon people's perceptions of fitness and, and that delivery of, uh, of that uh, around the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I pulled a few things uh, from there. I, I thought that was, you know, very good and it, it highlighted a few things. So first thing I wanted to point out for people listening and correct me if I'm characterizing things incorrectly, but one of the things philosophy does really well that I think you did really well there is when it seems like there's a dilemma, pull out an implicit assumption and show why it's false. So the implicit assumption that I take it that you just showed was false was we said, hey, how the hell do we figure this out? Either it's unregulated coaches or regulated coaches. And you said, why have fitness coaches in the first place? So what we're going to do instead is in the private sector, all of us, you know, OPEX and, you know, all these other entities are going to band together to try to agree on what people should be doing in fitness. And then in the government sector, if I'm understanding it correctly, we would have mandatory education for kids. We're not, we're not going the realm of adults, which can get controversial, but mandatory education for kids that teaches them how to lead a healthy and fit lifestyle. And those two approaches will get you where you ultimately need to be by essentially, again, this initially on the face of it, it seems like a dilemma, but you pulled out this implicit assumption that said, why the hell are we having these people called fitness coaches in the first place? And that, that really is one of the, I think, the true values of philosophy is sometimes things can seem contradictory on the face of it, but if you can do some deep thinking about what's this implicit bias or assumption in there that may be problematic, we can pull it out and subject it to scrutiny. And I think that's what you did with what seemed to be. Um, you agree with you know, people with that solution or not, it definitely is an alternative way to conceptualize it. We don't run into the same dilemma. Yep. Yep. That's what I was meaning. So yeah. Um, um, or that's what I was trying to, you know, I guess wrap my head around and, uh, and think about, um, yeah, it, uh, probably because it takes a lot more contemplation, Robbie, uh, I'll stop it at that because, uh, I'll, I'll just say that I probably do need to sit alone, um, without, without, you know, voice to it and, uh, and, uh, and think about it a little bit more. Okay. Yeah. And, and you may need to think about this one too, and that's totally fine, but I'm just curious. I mean, I, I think we both would be in agreement, even assuming that solution that you just proposed is true. We've got, I don't know, maybe a gap of 20 years or 40 years or whatever it's going to be to get there. Do you have any thoughts on in the interim, if thing, you know, things just proceed as they are with it being a free market, should in the interim there be government regulation or do you have any thoughts on in the interim or something you just need to give more thought to? Uh, uh, like for uh, uh, predictions to what it may look like for the future inside more like you know let's let's assume for the sake of argument that your solution that you just outlined ends up being the correct one where we educate people and we come together i think you and yeah. i could both agree it's not going to happen tomorrow or in a yeah. year it's it's, mm -hmm. it's going to take at least i don't know maybe a decade or more and then for the mm -hmm. kids to actually go through it yeah so like in the interim you know in our lifetimes yeah what, what do we do there do you have any thoughts one way or the other yeah um yeah, well, my honest opinion is I think we need to uh, 
you know, everyone's, everyone's at a different stage, right? If you're 21 and you're listening, rather you're 62 and listening, you know, <laughs> it's only so many years in existence. So you got to take that into consideration. But on that point is reality. I really, I really don't think that, uh, uh, you know, so for me to say like what you do in the interim, I still don't think that the future holds something positive. You know, I have to, I have to be completely honest. You know, that's not, I can't tell you that it looks positive. Like all things, you know, are leading towards a lack of reality, right? It, it, we're, we're moving away from what is real. Um, and therefore we're moving away from, you know, things that we hold true inside of the fitness education component as coaches and people who are participating in it, which is human relationships, you know, and we're, we're trying to look like we're adapting as a race um, and as humans, um, and by adapting, we are thinking that, you know, uh, uploading ourselves to the internet, I'm being very short on that, but that that's the evolution of us. Right. And, and that is moving away from a traditional concept of human relationships. And so what goes right alongside that is someone teaching another around self-care and self-nurture and physical education. So if you don't have that in place, then I really don't see things pointing towards that. That's why we humorously, Robbie, went after like, you know, hopefully there's zombies that come in a couple of years, right? And it's like, <laughs> after, I don't know why I still find that funny. And then, you know, it kills off a hundred million. And then uh, we all learn, it's like, Jesus, we, we need to be able to go for four minutes straight. Remember the whole, you know, idea so that the fifth year they come, because we know they come every one, two, three, four, five years iteration. Uh, we just know that's going to happen. So we all prepare ourselves physically for that. You know what I'm saying? This reverse engineers then for us to be physical, physical individuals because it helps us with that. So I, there's no impending thing that I see people are becoming really conscious to, you know, and it's not enough um, even that, uh, you know, uh, physical expression will ward off disease and keep you from having diabetes and, uh, and possibly give you a longer term, better mental acuity, et cetera. That's not enough. It's not enough to know those things where, you know, everyone is not really on board with uh, finding all the ways of getting it. So I don't really think that the future holds a positive light for that. So in the interim, I would say, and this is why I would say this based upon my perception of what the future is, we need to criticize bad ideas. You need to criticize bad ideas because you need to, learn from the criticizing of the bad ideas as to what you believe is, is a truth for yourself and for that person that is a client. And then you also start to create more critical thinking. So criticizing bad ideas sounds like, and it's perceived today, you're an asshole on Twitter. No, there's multiple ways to criticize bad ideas. You can do it through philosophy. You can do it through conversation and dialogue. You can do it through writing, et cetera, et cetera. You can do it through your daily practices as a coach. But I would say criticize those bad ideas because it'll create some truths for yourself, truths for your clients, and then hopefully over time that'll spread enough, fast enough, that uh, on the other side more people will be able to walk around out there after their experience with a coach in a couple of years and then start teaching others about this. Uh, why? Because they, you know, they fall in love with this concept of, uh, of uh, fitness and et cetera. Um, so in the interim, that's what I'd ask you to do is uh, keep asking really hard questions around intentions. Uh, don't put up with mediocre dancing. Um, you know, uh, keep, keep asking co uh, 
individuals about what their truest intentions are for their participation in fitness. Um, and don't be afraid of the fact that it, it, it gets very uh, nihilist for people where, you know, you may, you may move them down a road. It's like, yeah, I've come to understand some truths inside of physical experiences. Um, and my reason for doing it is really not good reasons. Like they're not good reasons. And I need some time to deal with that. Or I need to like, you know, figure out um, how to how to find another way to love myself through a different medium and it's not going to be through exercise so um, but you see that I'm trying to give coaches an idea what's to come when you want to get into asking those big questions and criticizing bad ideas and going after intentions so that's why I would that's why I would ask people to start doing today so just to recap there based on my that's my biases I don't think the future holds some positivity to that so then I work backwards and say, well, what would you do now in the interim if we think that's the truth, then is to criticize bad ideas, ask more questions around the why and intentions, and uh, just don't, don't, uh, don't uh, allow mediocrity uh, or suboptimal uh, progression of people, uh, you know, don't, don't allow them to not challenge themselves physically and cognitively um, in their fitness experience. Don't put up with that. Interesting. That makes me think like there might be even more, you know, obviously we think there's a connection between fitness and philosophy. We're doing this podcast, but like, uh, you know, if you're saying the role of one of the main roles of the coach in the interim right now, while we're maybe getting to that future that you're describing is for the coach to criticize bad ideas and to critically think and encourage more critical thinking in the population. I know of no greater area of inquiry that is, uh, you know, masters at bullshit detection besides philosophy like that's i mean there are others too i'm not you know you know i mean the toot philosophy's own horn but i think there's there's something to that where um using those same methods to critically think about things and educate people i think can be super useful yes um yeah so you know that's a positive light for us uh coming up with this idea and also sharing that is maybe some people that are listening in are coaches or are participants in fitness and uh, they get something on that. And so then this afternoon or tomorrow or whenever this comes out, you know, at the time you're listening, maybe you, uh, you do have a conversation with someone in a dialogue and you're like, I just heard, you know, just this interesting point uh, of uh, just asking the question, like, why are we really participating in this physical expression stuff? You know, why are we really doing that? Um, and then they're like, you know, well, you do it because it, you know, you lose weight. And then the person across from them list our podcast, they're like, you know what? Um, it's not only that, you know, there's more to it. Um, and, uh, so now, now they're armed with these like critical questions, right. Of like, let's think about this a little harder, right. As to what it means, what it means to me and what it means to you. And, uh, and now you see that discussion has happened and it is a thing that's happened. And uh, it, it is, uh, it's made the conversation a little bit more higher order. Yeah. And if I could offer maybe two methodological ideas for people to take with them when they're engaging in these conversations that I try to adopt myself and I encourage all my philosophy students to do, you know, obviously today with trolls and flame wars and all the rest of that stuff, it, you know, ends up being this gigantic cluster back and forth. I would encourage people having these dialogues you know, just like you and I were doing just a few minutes ago, discussing, you know, a point of contention or disagreement uh, to paint the other person's viewpoint in the most charitable light possible. 
don't use a straw man, don't, you know, mischaracterize the stuff. And the discussion has to happen in the space of reason. So what does that mean? That means like you are both on the intellectual field. You have to provide reasons and they have to provide reasons. Table banging and saying like, well, you know, CrossFit sucks. No, that, that, that's not enough. You need to have a reason. Uh, you need to explain why. And that reason itself is going to be subject to counter reasons by the other person. So, you know, in kind of this flame war troll written space that we live in, uh, methodologically something that may help people is both for you and the opposing person, try to be as charitable as possible to the opposing view and realize that you are both on the space, you're both engaging in the space of reasons and it's not enough to bang your fist and say, this is wrong. You have to come up with reasons why that are subject to counter reasons by the other person. So yeah, that's where my that's, thought goes there. Yeah, that's really helpful. Uh, be charitable and use reason. And in my, my terms, uh, I didn't know I was saying that probably most, most times how I answered questions, but I would say to some of the solutions that people were asking in different questions, I would say always approach it with seeing the good in everyone and also recognizing trying to arrive at what is subjective and objective in terms of how we're seeing things. So it's the same, it's the same, but it's in different language. So uh, I'm glad that uh, uh, you've thrown the holy water on my, uh, my approach to that indirectly as to how I, how I uh, came up with that. It's a good, it's a good method. So I appreciate that. That's certainly helpful for people um, that we sometimes forget even going into that. It's good to arm them with something that they could like, uses a base support for that thinking. So appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts here. I mean, obviously this is gonna be a longer than normal episode. We can call it here. I, I do have some other questions that we could get to in another episode. How, how, how are you feeling about where, where the discussion has taken us? I'm, I'm really good on it. Um, I think it does warrant more. So, uh, Okay. Yeah. I mean, one, one kind of on the Liberty one that I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on too. We had the discussion around fitness coaching and should there be laws there, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you proposed a, a very interesting solution that basically says a pox on both your houses. Like there's this implicit assumption that we forgot. One, one question that I had as well on the negative Liberty side is, do you think there should be any laws about how individuals, um, can practice fitness. And this is, this is slightly different from the one we asked about positive liberty. There, we were asking, should the government impose certain mandatory one hour of fitness? Yeah. Here more what I'm asking is, should the government prevent people from engaging in certain forms of physical activity or should it just be a complete, there should be no restrictions on that whatsoever? Uh, I think on the face of it, most of us would think, oh, yeah, government shouldn't have any role in that. But I'm just curious, like, should yeah. the government have any role in not instituting an hour of fitness each day, but rather preventing certain fitness activities from taking place? Any, any thoughts there? Yeah, for sure. I think, I think, what, <laughs> I think what, what can come in there is a, is a development of, uh, um, again, an understanding of what you think in that exercise experience is going to lead through facts and observation over a long period of time what's going to lead to a great mechanical and metabolic function for that human for the longest period of time. That's how you start with the, with the top approach of like, how are we defining 
what government is going to say is good. Okay. So it's like, well, what do you mean by that? Okay. We're all going to agree that, uh, people that are not capable of maintaining power for 20 minutes cannot participate in MGWs. <laughs> no, sorry. my grandma can do it. Sorry, my you knew where I was, you knew I was going to go there, right? Okay. So like what you're it. saying is OPEX? Uh, no. So we want, <laughs> we have to clearly define like, you know, no, honestly, we got to clearly define like what's, what's your definition of, great physical function. Remember the one of the three pillars, right? Great cognition, great physical function, and then living a large life, right? So in this here, you know, we do want to say, well, what are the, what are the mechanical metabolic things that, and so I think they're, I think it's fairly black and white. I don't think it's that gray. It's, it's stuff that, that we could show. I mean, it's, it's fairly easy to show through biometrics and, you know, putting a whole bunch of people through these uh, these opportunities of physical experience and the outcomes of that and the consistency of it and, and uh, what it does to the metabolic and mechanical system and predictions on how that's going to be 50 years down the road. Um, I think that's very easy to scrape and find out for us to come to this idea that we're going to agree upon things like um, you can't punch each other in the face uh, for an hour, three times a week. Um, you can't take really big violent hits to your head uh, five times a week when you're 12 to 16 years of age. Um, you know, we're, we're going to come to this, this agreement after we've said we want, all, we want our people and everyone uh, to not be allowed to go through these sacrificial processes um, and these physical sacrificial processes. And I know there's lots of discomfort in that, right? There's lots of discomfort in that. But Robbie, you asked the question and that's what I immediately think. I'm like, I don't give a shit about you winning a championship. I really don't, right? Like, you know, this gets into the point of like, well, what's a, what's a life worth living? And, and what, is, what is contribution for that life worth living? And could it, be, could it be in a way, shape or form that you still can challenge yourself for a period of time for 25 years, really physically and cognitively, without the physical sacrifices that don't allow you to live from 50 to 80 years really well. So these things are, are well known today. So that's what I would say is we'll, we'll probably get into an agreement there, which I think again is black and white, um, that uh, we're going to agree upon from, you know, three years of age to 87. This should be the physical expression experience. And this is what is not allowed inside that. What's not allowed inside of that. And then, of course, we get into like, well, if you do wish to participate in uh, punching each other in the face from 16 to 30 years of age, uh, four times a week, then these are the outcomes based upon you wanting to do that, right? <laughs> and then it gets into this weird, you know, Huxley world of black market, you know, <laughs> fighting and, and uh, mixed modal classes. <laughs> and then over here on this side, People just doing resistance training and yoga and like sipping, sipping green drinks, you know, um, and using virtual reality to, to kind of visualize like really challenging, you know, positions, et cetera. So that's, I think that would be fairly easy to, uh, to lay that out. Uh, fairly easy in my mind. I mean, not because I, because Robbie, I think I can define like a, a really good lived experience through physical expression. And I would know what you can, what you should and should not do in there. Right. And I also know a lot of the discomforts that people will get into when they start thinking about that. It's like, I don't regret any of those three years I was being punched in the face. I learned so much about hard work and et cetera. And, uh, and uh, you know, my argument to that is, uh, 
is that uh, in, a, in an effect size and a large group size of it, uh, for 10,000 people over 20 years, the outcomes don't look that good for cognition. And so, again, if our definition is you being pretty smart at 85 and being able to like get to the ground, uh, touch your chest and get back up in five seconds, which could be that plus uh, actually walking a mile and the pace in which you walk that mile, those are direct observations of cognitive and physical function. And I do not think that people uh, who, are, who are going through that uh, when they're 85 are gonna be able to, uh, able to do that. So I think it'd be fairly easy to say what's in, what's out. I'm just thinking of some prohib prohibition era speakeasies where you knock on the door and they're like, what's the password? Triple Fran. <laughs> you have these little fight clubs where it's mixed modal. <laughs> oh man. I can see the memes. There's like a thousand memes that just came right from that. That if Brandon's listening in, that uh, man, you just got like a, you just got a job for a lifetime based upon that that idea. But I like I like what you said there, and you know, going back to your original question, which kind of anchored a lot of what we were talking about in, in this episode of how do we get traction on the government making laws here? I think an important thing for people to remember is that it's a lot easier to make a negative law than a positive mm -hmm. law. Yeah. So it's a lot easier and you can get more traction saying, you know, and especially for kids too, not just for adults, but for kids, yeah. like it's, yeah. it's a lot easier to make a law saying, yeah, kids shouldn't be concussed between the age of 12 to 16, yeah. you know, getting punched in the face or doing football than it is to say everyone should do mandatory fitness one hour a day. So that, that is a way we can get into it with the government having a role uh, just maybe in a, in a different way. So instead of mandating maybe a positive positive in the sense of like something people have to do we can you know say these are the things people shouldn't do because they're going to detract and you can get more purchase on that the same way in uh nutrition we can't or we currently don't say things like you have to eat your broccoli but we can ban trans fats yep uh we can tax sodas yes. and things like that so that that's a way we can make progress in that direction but without infringing or without worrying so much about the liberty arguments on the other side, if that makes yep. sense. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I'm not sure if you felt it there, but I think there's a, a little room for a deeper discussion that connects nutrition and some of the parallels to fitness based upon your comment of the trans fats. Oh yeah, please. I, I love this discussion. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think we should do it another time, honestly, because I, it just opened up a world of thinking of using nutrition as a base support and, you know, just the, the simple thing you just rolled over, right? Like taxing or saying that those are not, those are not doable yet in fitness, this is doable. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to make mo make note that I picked up on that and maybe for the future we can discuss a parallel, parallel thing to that in fitness. Yeah. I mean, you know, we can touch on, sorry. Oh no. So I was just gonna say, yeah, we could, we could touch on a little bit now and then go further. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll lay my cards on the table here and you know, I suspect you probably share at least some of these views, like part of my suspicion besides a general philosophical one about infringements on liberty, about the government having a role in things like nutrition is, of course, we saw what happened with the food period. Um, and we know that soy corn and wheat are subsidized. This is a big part of the reason why, um, you know, foods tend to be, um, cheaper than health foods. And another thing that we run into as well is the RD situation, 
and also in, in FDN land as well, you know, mm-hmm. medical practice versus FDN, but like mm-hmm. the RD situation, you know, registered dietitians or licensed nutritionists where, you know, on the one hand, it's, it's good that there are these authorities and professionals who are regulated, but on the other hand, you know, recommending a high carb diet for diabetes, you know what I mean? Yep. Like we get this dogmatism and, and things like that. So yep. um, th- those are the things that I tend to think of when I worry about the government's role in it. And I agree that there are benefits and drawbacks, but those are just some things that kind of come to mind about how this would parlay into fitness and how it relates to fitness and nutrition. Yeah. Yeah. I told Totally. Like, I, I, th- I think that's just one of like maybe 15 to 20 things, correct me if I'm wrong, of like, we could say, oh, yeah. this is interesting that it happens in nutrition. And we kind of just like, oh, we've fought that and we've worked against it and we've come to these things. But yet in fitness, it's like, eh, you know, it's, it's no, no big deal. You know, we don't have to like, you know, scream to the top of our lungs around, you know, what's being, what's being done in a micro gym intense group fitness class, right? But me, the way I'm seeing that, is saying that the Canadian Innu should be should be uh, eating a whole shit ton of fruit like citrus and watermelon, etc. Why? Because it's on the Canada's food guide. My whole point being that RDs in Canada, you know, took took a beating from that in the in the public sphere um, because for not taking into consideration individual differences and backgrounds, right? Recommending all these people eat a shit ton of fruits they should have no access to. Or usage, and they don't even metabolize sucrose and fructose really effectively, right? And what's it going to lead to? Well, fuck, you know, a whole bunch of problems, you know? Um, and all the stuff that was on the top of the pyramid, you know, which was really tiny, was all the shit that they've ever eaten for thousands of years, right? High-fat foods and high-fat meats and, and higher fat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, but that, that point itself, I think we could parallel over to fitness very easily um, in terms of the way that we went about going that just that's stupid like that's dumb that makes absolutely no sense and there's been some i would say some movements not positive you know big game changing movements but at least some movements on it where it's in the conversation whereas in fitness we kind of just like we wash it aside and it may maybe only me talking about it right like you know i'm just pointing out this one too but you know just think about a pyramid you know a uh, uh, usa uh, uh, exercise pyramid, right? Where is, where is unsustainable mixed modal activities fitting in that pyramid? Right. Why isn't it like trans fats where it's, and I'll admit, I mean, it's, it's a great question. I, 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 as we're discussing this, I'm wondering just sociologically and culturally your question, like, why is it that way with nutrition? Like, how did it get to be that way, both in the U S and Canada, it seems, I'm not sure about other countries, yeah. but not that way that with fitness, the only one that I can think of, and you I think it's got to do other... with mo- sorry, it's got to do with money. It had to do with, uh, uh, the sugar, fat, salt, uh, industry and making money, government interventions, lobbyists, we're going to do agriculture. This is how we need to make money off that, et cetera. I yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean the death by food pyramid stuff and Denise Minger. And yeah. I mean that, that I, I get that there's money in there, but there's money. You know, there's, you know, Probably not as much though. Probably not where near as much money and fitness. So maybe that's that's why it hasn't taken hold in fitness. The example I can think of, but you can probably think of others, is I want to say 2012-2013. I want to say it was Washington D.C. There was going to be a law that said that CrossFit trainers could not um, be trainers anymore. Yep. Precise, and I, you know, who knows what the intentions were there? I, you, yep. you might know better than I. Maybe it yep. was a adversarial thing, 
but something to that effect where it was like, no, we're going to make it where only people who have gone through this certification are trainers. And if you're not, you can't just open a box after taking a weekend course for a thousand dollars. So that's the only attempt I can think of. I don't, I don't know if you know of others or the intentions behind that one or anything. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there are others. It's not as probably, uh, as important seemingly in conversation. Um, but it's important for people to know. And, and I think CrossFit has made this available. And so, but I mean, depending upon who, where you are in the fitness landscape, you probably wouldn't have known this was happening. And uh, Greg spoke to everyone around him, including all the affiliates based upon this back then. Um, that, and there's some stuff that he couldn't speak about because he was making some assumptions. But as an outsider, um, I think there was bad actors inside of the lobbying towards regulation of CrossFit trainers um, that was largely being paid for somehow connected to what the current model is of regulation in terms of who a personal trainer is and who can do the education. And ironically, a huge amount of their funding came from sugar. So yeah. you, you just reverse engineer that backwards. And now you got, now you got some really, it's it, truly, it's unfortunate, right? I mean, it's like, it's me, come on, ACSM fucking come on. I mean, seriously. And I don't even know if it was ACSM. I apologize if it wasn't. I'm just using, come on, NSCA, come on, OPEX, whatever. Like, that, that, just come on, you know? Like, there's a better way of going about this. You know, what you, you, know what you could have done is you could have said, how about we, we get all of your trainers inside of your organization called CrossFit because they're in the trenches and they're actually working with people, maybe not appropriately or effectively. We could remedy that. Um, we could get this guy called James to come in and say, this is how you dose response effectively for progressive order in terms of fitness. But you get, you, you wrap your hands around all of them, right? And say, hey, instead of regulating and saying you can't teach this, how about we say we're going we're gonna to all be trainers, right? And again, this goes back to my premise previously of, uh, and sorry, I'm going towards that, what we talked about earlier, but about wrapping all of our hands together because we, we seemingly think it's so complex to be a trainer, right? It's like, oh, you need so much education and so much competency in order to teach people about health and fitness. Um, and that's where they went, but it was from bad intentions, in my opinion. Um, and maybe we need to do more research to show that's true, but I think it was bad intentions to try to create that regulation. And, uh, and gladly, I guess, or happily, it didn't, it didn't fall through. And it allowed this, uh, you know, I guess we could call it a free market expression of how to teach fitness and where it should go. And there's lots of positives to that. There's also lots of negatives we talked about previously, but there's lots of positives yeah. to that. So um, there are there are other examples where there was like um, uh, rules to be rules to be made. Um, and I, I, you know, I will have to do my research. You know, I will have to do my research just so I don't, I, I'm careful and where it was. But I think there was in some states, as well as what I can remember in Canada, a designations that were given to health and fitness professionals that were allowed to do some lifestyle consulting or physical assessments. And if you didn't have this designation, you couldn't actually do that as a consulting practice. So there was a number of people I knew as colleagues in the late nineties that went underground that didn't have my certification. Um, and I was friends with them. Right. And I, they were doing good work, but they didn't tell anyone that they were creating consultations on lifestyle or they were giving exercise and nutritional advice because they could actually get fined based upon the Canadian government if they didn't have that designation. So, that actually did was in place. But as you know, or if you don't know, back in the nineties, it, it was on like everyone just needed access to information on health and everyone was doing a good job because the only tools we had to deal with was, you know, whole foods, 
uh, resistance training, bodybuilding, and cardiovascular efforts, right? So it's like, oh, this stuff is healthy. It won't hurt you. Wow, that's really true. <laughs> um, but then there's so much more options that I think, yes, now we're at the time where we may have to answer this question, Robbie, and you propose it, and I think we need to dig harder on it. Um, what should the exercise food guide be or exercise guide be? And how do we create uh, what, what would be, you know, a regulation as to who could teach this, right? And, and how, do we, how do we get some base level ideas as to who could teach it? Now, again, I'm, I'm going on the premise that we're going to take care of all these adults who, who need some fixing. And I'm not, I'm not assuming that we're 50 years down the road and every young person starting tomorrow has gotten, you know, right. the education. So, uh, um, yeah, man, lot, lots in there. Lots in that one. Um, yeah. So I, I love that, that I picked that up from the trans fat thing. It just opened my brain to so many different parallels. Yeah. And thank you for that background info. That was super helpful. You know, just one thing I thought of as you were mentioning that this is precisely where the negative liberty person will hop in and say, I will gladly take the government not being able to do positive things in fitness to avoid those types of nefarious situations you just mentioned where like big moneyed interests take away. Right. That's, yep. you know, the, the negative liberty person will say, you know what? I wish it'd be cool, you know, if we could set these proper intentions and, and have these things, but I, I have too much skepticism about what we can know and about moneyed interest taking it over. Mm -hmm. And that's where I kind of come back to leave it to private industry. Not saying that's right, but that's kind of where they yeah. would hop in and be like, the worry would come in. Yep. Yep. You are correct on that. Uh, that does make sense. So I think maybe... Hmm, you, you and I will talk about it a little bit more, but maybe either next time or for a future episode, I would love, I mean, yeah, I, I would love to do an entire episode on liberty and nutrition and like FDN. That would be, yep. that would be very cool to Let's do. do it for sure. Um, I think, uh, yeah, in terms of want to respect your time, um, you want to call it there for today? Yeah, I think that's good. My, I'm going to respect my brain too. <laughs> I'm starting to get to the end of the chat. I got, I got things to go away with and just sit down and contemplate right now. So <laughs> I'm being greedy on that, that I, I need brain power just to do that. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm the same way. I love these discussions, but at the end I'm like, Ooh, man, I got a lot to think about and got to take a mental recharge. So, yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much. And uh, we hope everyone enjoyed it and thank you for us uh, um, or putting up with some of the technological things also throughout Robbie and I'll leave it on here. So it's in, it's, we don't have to edit it out. Uh, there was a couple of times where it was broken for you. Um, but, uh, it was still well understood. So I waited until after where it was a little choppy, um, and then said, you know, well, let's still be very well understood. And I think it'll be really well understood, but, uh, reach out to us if something wasn't understood in terms of the question or the, uh, or the conversation, we'd be happy to, happy to let you know. Otherwise, thanks for sticking in this amount of time and, and, uh, we'll see you for, uh, uh, session 15, right? It would be 15 minutes. Now. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, agreed. And yeah, ap apologies for that. And uh, thank you for listening in anyone who's listening to the end. This is only half a Joe Rogan pack podcast, even if we combine the two. <laughs> so blame the Indiana internet. <laughs> right. All right. Well, thank you so much, James. Thanks. Take care.